we're going to do a continuation of Numbers 30, verse 3, and part 2. And I was thinking about this. You know, there's nothing that says it any stronger than how much your words mean than to have a scripture like this where you have to pull them down. And so I was thinking that this is a perfect representation you know, like, you don't even have the power to pull your own words down. You've got to get someone else to pull your words down. So the concept that we're talking about is the fact that your words mean something. And it really shows you how much your words mean when you take a scripture like Numbers 30, and you've got to have professional people pull your words down. Like, that means those who have authority over you. That means people have to pay attention to what is coming out that little hole in the front of your head. And make sure you don't say something that sets up, let's call it your destiny. Have you ever heard that? That your destiny is set on fire by your words. Does that remind you of James? So we're talking about the fact that there are times in your life that you can really be blessed by someone that just doesn't let something you say stand. Let it stand or sometimes you let it not stand. Our words and our will are connected together. Think about your promises, your agreements, your rights. That everybody goes, well, this is my right. Well, it's your words. you got to look at what your words are saying because a lot of times we're reacting out of ignorance. And there is nothing like the concept of sickness, symptoms. Have you ever had the devil, he pulls up his little cart next to you and he says, choose what you want. So all these sicknesses are available. You can just choose which one you want. And sometimes, have you ever felt that when you feel sick, it makes you feel worse? People will start naming. It must be this. Or they'll start describing their symptoms. Or you go see someone in the hospital, and right where they're describing their pain, you have a pain hit you. Right where they are telling you, I got operated about here. And you start having sympathy symptoms. But if you open your mouth and you start speaking it, literally you can open the door to something really getting a hold of your life. And I want you to think in the area of sickness, what have you claimed all of your life? What area of sickness have you just claimed it? Every chance you get, you tell everybody, that's what I have. But every single time that situation comes up, if someone has it, you're like, I have that. Something that you've just taken ownership in. Would you see this as a territory or category that your words, it would have been best if somebody had said, I'm not going to let that stand. We're pulling that down. Because it's a lot harder to get it off of you when it's moved that mountain in your backyard. And you have to pull it down. So those symptoms come in. And the bad thing about symptoms, they give you pain with it. or they It's a doozy. Like you can feel the feelings of those symptoms with it. And I'm going to give you something to say instead of that. In Psalms 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, that he literally forgives all my iniquities. He heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. He crowns me with loving kindness. He renews my youth like eagles. David's naming God's benefits. He starts just saying them. Doesn't that sound a lot better to your ears to say, the Lord delivers me of all my infirmities? Otherwise, you're letting things stand that the enemy would love to do to you. He would love to kill you. He would love for you to give him a just reason to take you out. Sometimes you get a doctor's report. You get a really bad report. 
you have to do something in the spiritual realm to not let it stand until you can turn it, till you can get it to where literally that assault or that attack on your health comes off of you. Your whole life is going to be built on this of not letting things stand because you are a product right now of what you let stand, what those who loved you let stand, what those in authority, you're a product of what you let stand. Sometimes it can be your temper, you're mad, or it can be your hurt. It can be, I just have this continuous thing that I name over myself. I'm always feeling rejected. I'm always feeling, and you fill in the blank, and that's something you've let stand. And not only have you let it stand, you confirm it all the time. Well, tonight, it's being challenged. And right now, at its very roots, I'm putting an axe towards it. And I'm saying, do you really want that to stand? Because the authority is speaking over your life, and it's saying no to it. And that's God's authority. The authority of the Lord is speaking over your life, and he's saying, really, you're going to put up with this the rest of your life because the devil will add more to it. He'll continually make this worse. So there are all types of things. You could just sit here forever and name the types of things that can stand over you. But you've got to make a decision, and you need to think about what you're letting happen. I did a previous lesson, but it bears repeating because when we were discussing this story, the lesson on restraints, I told this. But if you've ever heard a woman turn something around with the Lord... This is that story. If we told it every week, it'd be good. But there was a lady, and uh, her husband had left her. Of course, he had had an affair with some other woman, so she immediately had problems because they had to work out some kind of relationship on sharing the kids. And her ex would uh, come to get the kids, but he brought a little something extra every time he came. And it wasn't a nice gift for the house. But he brought his uh, girlfriend and so it was bad enough that he had left her, he had cheated on her, but he had bring the woman that he had cheated with him to come get the kids. Well, you've got several emotions going on there inside that woman's heart because, number one, it's very painful for her, but number two, it's you've got to be kidding. You're putting the kids through this. You're really, as a father, this is what you're laying down for your family as their inheritance. Guess what? The girlfriend was not just this nice, sweet someone. But she was this type of person that really enjoyed drama. She could be cruel and torturing. So when she would show up, she would literally put on an act in front of the ex-wife. And she would just start in with the ex and with the kids. You would look over and he would enjoy watching this woman do this cruel act. So it was a partnership between the two of them. It was the girlfriend and it was the ex-husband. I mean, every time they had to switch the kids, the lady just was like, I can't bear this. I can't bear the cruelty of it. It's already enough that he's wrecked our lives and busted up our family. And, you know, I loved him, and here we go. The girl, she just did something that sometimes only you can do with the Lord. And she just went before the Lord, and she was praying, and she said, Lord, why is this happening to me? Why? What have I done that this should be happening to me? And in the midst of it, something rose up inside of her. And she said, I'm a daughter of the Most High God. I shouldn't be treated this way. Well, that might be true, but what's going to become of it? And it just had risen up in her, and it came flying out of her mouth. So she thought, I'll call my preacher. 
So she called her preacher, and I think this happened before the service. And so he went into her, he started talking to her, and he said, I know what to do. He said, you know how in the natural, when someone's not supposed to come see you, and they're just making things rough, he said, you put up a restraining order. He said, we're going to put up a divine restraining order, because you shouldn't be treated cruel. You're a daughter of the Most High God. Like, it was spoke faith to the situation. And something came over her that the enemy had to be restrained. And guess what happened? No sooner had they put up a divine restraining order that the whole situation began to crumble. And her ex-husband called her up, and he apologized. And he said, I don't know why I did that. He said, I'm never going to do it to you again. He said, I have no understanding of why. He said, you didn't do anything wrong in the marriage. You're not the one that tore it apart. It was me that did it. And he said, I'm never going to bring her to your house again and let her behave that way and be a party to that and laugh at it. He said, I'll never do it to you again. He said, I don't even know why I was doing it. You know, sometimes people come under a spell of just being cruel. Sometimes it's just like blood in the water. For some reason, they just fall apart. But look at what happened. She did something in the spiritual realm that didn't have anything to do with him or the kids or herself. It had to do between her and God. I'm a daughter of the Most High God. The enemy should not have that right to treat me this way. I do not deserve it. And so many people are having this happen to them. All their life, they put up with it. All their life, the enemy makes them cynical, and he takes their life, and he just smears their nose into it. There are things in your life that you cannot and you must not let stand. I was thinking about a friend of mine, and she had had a period in her life where she was abused by a cousin in her family. And this had gone on since she was very little, until she hit her teens. And it had been a perpetual problem of his abuse. She said, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you this. And she said, the strangest thing happened to me. She said, one day I just looked at him and she said, I told him, no, don't do that to me anymore. And she said he stopped and never did it again. And she said, it scared me, it was that easy. And I thought, are you serious? We have things that we have allowed to stand that ought not be. They're not what God has for us. And it literally is reaching down inside of us and giving it a complete no. This will not take place. And so I would advise you or challenge you when you're talking to people, you're talking to them in terms of what they're letting stand in their life. You know, there are things that they need to be pulling down. I can't see anyone's life that they don't need to be pulling something down. And if you're somebody's authority figure, like if you're head of your house, who teaches this that tells the men or tells the person in authority or tells the person over something, you have the power to let things stand or not let them stand. I mean, did you know that's part of your pastoral duties? Can you imagine that you just sit there or you minister to someone or you're over them? You just said, I'm not letting that stand. That's enough, and that is true authority. It's not what you get or controlling or trying to keep everybody dumbed down. It's the power that you have to restrain evil off of people's lives. This shows you the value and the power of words. You're going to live by every word that comes out of your mouth. 
I mean, it's setting it. It says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words are testimonies of our soul, and it's also an indication of how much we allow. I'm not saying in either situation that person deserved it, but I am saying that when it came over them that they didn't deserve it, they literally put a stop to it spiritually. And there's some things in the physical you've got to put a stop to spiritually. So in many ways, this scripture in Numbers 30 is dealing with someone who has got themselves in a trap, specifically in the area of vows or obligations. And you see that there was a forgiveness factor added into it of how that a person is released from a vow that they had made. In other words, we're not going to let it go on record. We're not going to let this be permanent. It gives extra protection to the wife not to be coerced into something. It serves as a buffer for young people. So I want you to look at this unique position that a person in authority has. There is a special provision when the father can change something that the family has said. This is not for neglectful fathers. This is not for fathers that are passive and just let things happen and I wonder why bad things happen. This is where you are preventatively playing offense for those who trust in your prayer life and the protection that you give them. In all my years of hearing sermons, I've never heard one sermon preached on having something undone. What's going on? I mean, we look at this verse and hurry over it because maybe it's a little bit of offensive to us. But it's something else when you say to yourself, a father can change something. A person can let something not stand. But let's examine the first time I ever recognized this concept being utilized. Because sometimes we speak death. And we speak death to something we deeply care about. And why, I don't know. Why would we speak the demise of something that means something to us? You know, sometimes we've made a bad vow and we throw a life on the table. Sometimes people give up hope. Sometimes it's the worst possible thing that can be said. I know because once in a moment of anguish, I remember being in the front cab of my dad's truck and driving along with him. And something came up and I was telling him, I said, Dad, this did not turn out how I wanted it to turn out. I cannot see any good in this. This literally has been disastrous. And I remember in anguish that I was speaking such a thing to my dad. I even remember where we were on the road and the curve there is uh, at that place. And in the moment of anguish, I let something slip out of my mouth. And I can't tell you how glad I am that my dad was there to do exactly what this scripture says to do for people. Not to let something stand. Not to let my words said in a moment of where I was using the facts of what was going on, for those words not to be allowed to be the final word. Said in a hurtful moment, there are some things that don't need to be the final word on it. And if God gives you that in your spirit, you better clean it up and say, this is not the final word on this. And this is what came out my mouth. I'm going to say it is, as much as I can, you know, some of these things are, are pretty personal because they involved other people's lives, but I said... Dad, it ruined the miracle. It just would have been better for her if we had not put her through this. When I was about to say the next part, my dad stopped my words, and he declared the exact opposite of what I said. And my dad was like, no, it's not. God had his hand in it. 
He said it turned her life around when she was the most vulnerable and she is much better off for it. It is a good thing you came into their life. It's good what you did. You never take back what you've done and don't ever give up on the miracle that God has done because it can't be undone. He said the good has already taken place and it took place when it needed to. He said, this evil attack does not have the power to change the good. He said, you didn't have anything to do with that attack. It literally struck. And he said, and already, there's already been good coming out of it. And guess what? My dad just changed the motion. He changed completely the direction. And he put a new hope and a new path. His words let the miracle stand and not the failure. The power to change it even after it has become a fact. Wow. When things went down wrong, a defeat, a disaster, a setback, when someone is on the verge of losing their faith, my dad looked at me and his final words, he said it like he was the final beat of the drum. He looked at me and he says, they're still breathing, aren't they? Those words have never quit ringing in my ear. I was like, oh, this seems terrible. Like, how about if he'd been a soulish compassion dad? How about if he'd been one, like, just one that earned my favor? Oh, Angie, it is bad. I'm so sorry. I'm just, I feel so bad. No. He was like, absolutely not. God's <laughs> hand is in this. You can't change it. The miracle's been done. You stick to what God did through you. And they're still breathing. And did you know, for a few years, every time I'd get bad reports, I'd say, they're still breathing. They're still breathing. You know what? I think uh, maybe those are the words that set up the miracle. Maybe they're the ones what pulled the failure off. And some of those things, you may say the same words to it. God will just give you some little glimpse of hope, some little faith thing. But that needs to be what comes out of your mouth, and that needs to be what stands is the hope. And the enemy is trying to beat the stuffing out of you and beat all hope out of you and paint a disaster in front of your eyes and make you bewildered and make you give up. And literally, that's what should not stand. Don't let a counterattack stand as the final deal. The enemy, he's a pusher. <laughs> he's compulsive. He will try to make you give up the good because someone did bad. You've got to stop a bad covenant. Stop a bad deal. You got to do like my friend did and tell that guy, stop it. Enough. Some of what we're doing is kind of like stopping a spell when the spell comes on people. You've got to stop patterns. You've got to stop things that are going wrong. So the first thing you can say is, where have you made bad alliances? You know, a friend of mine told me, she said, the Lord gave me a verse and it was Isaiah 30. I want you to read it. You want a verse on stopping alliances? Stopping witchcraft alliances? Make a list of all the different types of alliances in this verse. Stopping patterns where you've been witchcraft trained, where you've learned to work around that spirit. You know, Dad was a big believer in stopping those words that he wasn't in agreement with because he was always in agreement with whatever God was saying. The guy had faith. These kind of statements forget the Lord. You forget that he's involved. You act like you're some atheist. And you're ruling out his power. I've seen people that, you know, sometimes they say audacious things. They get your attention. But usually it's for selfish reasons to grab the attention for the moment. But the times that I saw Dad do this, it was always for the person's best interest. It was always to set their life 
in agreement with what God was saying. And so this challenges you. You should not be a passive listener. Like you're just listening to what people are saying. But you've got to apply faith in order so you can be sensitive to unique moments that God might rise your spirit up and require you to turn a miracle back around so that a person doesn't lose it. Turn it back around to where it's not lost. Think about that kind of power. Think about it if God has given you the power to not let things go down wrong. Think about it in your schools. If you have the power to truly not let things go down wrong. People's lives are trying to be snuffed out in all different types of places. You know, in many ways, this reminds me of those moments right before a ship that is capsized goes under. Have you ever watched one of those things? They might float on the water for quite some time. It could be floating for hours Yet when it goes under, it goes under in minutes. And that's how people's lives are. You might see them floating for quite a while. But when the enemy takes them under, he takes them under with a thrust. That feeling where you can sense the moment before the sea sucks the whole thing down. You have moments sometimes to make your move. People can go down fast. And the older you get, the more you look at people's lives and say, I wish I could have done something. I wish I had paid attention. I wished I realized that I even have authority at times like this. When you feel truth connect with that person, it's when you know it actually turns around. And surprisingly, it can just take one variable for God to turn it around. There can be 10 reasons for the thing to go underwater and take someone with them. But just one little bitty thing you do might change the whole situation. Just one little thing that you say... You know, it's when we fear man and we don't fear God that we're powerless. You know, cultural rules dictate that we let anything anyone says stand anytime anyone says anything. Isn't that the truth? Just any little glorious thing that comes out their mouth, that's how they feel, so we just agree with it. And that's how we do our society. It is done in the name of honor or respect or... I'm a nice person. I say nice things. Maybe the reason you're not doing this is because you're afraid to not be nice. (laughs) Because this takes something else. Because both this verse and the way that my dad would apply this verse, it did not sound very respectful or nice (laughs) when he didn't let something stand. (laughs) He wasn't very just honoring whatever came out of my little feel-good mouth. My little murky, little mucky little feelings. I was standing in the doo-doo and sinking, just like that chair, sitting out in my yard. (laughs) I mean, I'd never seen a chair go down that quick. All those legs just went completely down. I mean, people can go down. (laughs) So sometimes something God didn't say is the right thing for you to do, to not be nice about it and pull it down. We shouldn't honor what God doesn't honor. When something wasn't the highest way possible, my dad would weigh in. And I, for one, am very thankful. The allow, the not allow. Wow, that's power. The allow, the not allow. Those are such strong words. If you don't know this, you will be allowing things you shouldn't. And you will be not allowing things you should. If you don't know this, you'll have your allows all messed up. I was thinking, I handle so many of these in a day's time. And you should too, with the authority of the believer that's on your life. 
you're going to be shocked how much of this you'll be doing. So letting the word stand, letting the word curse stand. You know, victim identity people don't want their problems solved because they're little perpetual problems themselves. If their identity is because they're a victim, they don't want you to solve their problems. They just want to have more problems. If you get rid of their problems, they want more because they're a little victim. And they have little perpetual problems. And they are a little perpetual problem. They want to be offended by their own little problems. And they want to be offended by you. And so they want to make a big deal out of them. And if you start solving their problems, you're going to mess them up. (laughs) Because they'll have nothing to run to. And they run out and they'll get more when you solve them. Like, the solving the problem has never even been a concept in their mind because that's how they feel loved. That's how they get attention, is the victim, sympathy. They don't get delivered. They don't really want it because they get their soulish stroking, compassion with it. You know, my mother, she works with people over the phone, and they have emotional struggles. You can hear them. You can hear the emotional struggles. (laughs) My mom's on the phone with them. And some of them have been in their emotional quicksand, their emotional struggles for quite some time. They have these conditions, but most of the time they repeat the same things over and over. And so mom has to start the process of renewing their mind to the Word of God. And so that's how you start, you know, working them out of these emotional things. You take authority and you start using it. Well, there was one particular lady that mom was having an extremely tough time with because she would be very repetitive And she would say her problems over and over. And no matter what mom said, the lady would counter with something else. A mother said, okay, I've had enough of listening to this. So she hands the phone to my dad. And as soon as the lady gets on the phone with my dad, the lady tells my dad, I'm just going to faint. And my dad didn't even miss a beat. And he said, no, you're not. You're going to stand on your feet and you're going to trust the Lord. And so we started laughing that the ironic part was every time that woman calls, she wants to talk to dad. Isn't it funny? People don't like it when we let things stand. And their emotional quagmires don't need to stand. Their emotional message. You have got to look at people's feelings and all that crazy stuff that our people are plagued by. All those thoughts they're hearing in their ears. All the things going on in their head. You cannot let them stand. My dad had a way about him that he could get a person to separate out from their dark thoughts. Because some people think their thoughts are them. Some people think their feelings are them. But dead had to make them separate from their thoughts, separate from their feelings. Don't go there. You're better than that. And I learned from him. In dire situations, hopeless, and they want me to believe it about them. And they want me to join in. And they want me to declare it. In some ways, this concept goes against human inclinations and we long for a feel-good environment where everyone's opinion counts. We want to have understanding, (laughs) able to relate and empathize. And in doing so, we allow the word to stand. People want to be heard many times, but not changed. And this is where you come in. Others really fight against it. So, you fight hard in a natural way. You've got to fight against people's staying in their messes and you've got to start solving their problems. But if you don't start filling up those gaping holes inside that are inside of you, where you feel like everyone's problems are on you, it just starts weighing in on you in the natural. 
and you're letting things stand. Now, I'm going to give you an example of this in the natural. I had a friend of mine. That's what I was going to tell. And a friend of mine, I told her, I said, you're a victim. And she said, absolutely not. I'm not a victim. I've never had a victim thing said about me. But the thing is, she never let it stand that she was a victim. She had things that happened to her that made her a victim, but fought it hard. And you can, in the natural, you can fight really hard and you can solve your problems so that you're not a victim. And you do this many times in the natural. Sometimes it leaves gaping holes in you that you don't even realize they're there because you felt like everyone else's problems were yours because things happened to you young, and so you took on the world. You took on everybody's problems. You had to be the strength. And so you started standing against that where... Some people don't fight it. They just, yeah, I am a victim. This person said, no, I'm not a victim. In reality, some things that happened to make them one, they just stood hard against it. Let me tell you who I'm comparing that to. I'm comparing it to Jonathan in the Bible, whose dad was Saul. And Jonathan had a guy, a dad, who was willing to make a victim out of his son. You know, I was thinking... It's sad that Jonathan didn't have the dad I had because I want you to look up a scripture in 1 Samuel 14, 44. And you've got to close these doors and not allow them to stand. You remember I told you what we were going to speak on. Can you imagine these words being said to you in your youth? Then Saul said to his son, Jonathan, tell me what you've done. Verse 44. So Jonathan said to him, I merely tasted a little honey with the end of my staff and now I must die. And Saul said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. And he ordered Jonathan to be put to death. Is that a word curse? Power of words? Talk about let it stand. The guy himself spoke the curse. And I started putting this together, and I came up with something. Let me read it in another translation. Yes, Jonathan, Saul said, you must die. May God strike me and even kill me if you do not die for this. Have you had someone like that in your life? Over trivial things. Have you ever had someone that their use of authority was more like control? They just like telling you what to do. Saul used his authority wrongly, but the ability to have his own father kill him still stood in Jonathan's life. In 1 Samuel 30, when Saul went to the witch and Samuel came up out of the grave, remember what he said? Saul, tomorrow in battle, you and your sons, Jonathan will die. So that spirit actually did get Jonathan in the end. Oh yeah, you see the door open up here with the power of the words. They were allowed to stand. It's a word curse. And I'm saying, you feel those hurtful words that were said to you? You need to get in there, and we need to get them cleaned up. We need to pray them off. We need to renounce them. Those are witchcraft words, and that's what I realized That word curse was never shut down. And so we see the power of words, and we see things that were said over us. It's not your feelings being hurt that's a problem. It's the fact that it opened up a door, and Saul did get the ability to one day kill his son. And we don't look at it that way. We don't look at it as you make a vow like that, and you never put the blood over it and repent and renounce it. It has power, and the devil's patient. 
It has wonder working power, but it's not the good kind. And it comes back for you. And actually Saul got the ability to be the reason for his son's death. Witchcraft. And that's what I started seeing about letting things stand. Your authority figure has the ability, your father has the ability to pull it off of you or put it on you. And the only way to get out from under it is have a higher father, <laughs> a bigger father, a father that can wipe out what earthly men said. You've got to let your heavenly father not let stand what some earthly father being evil didn't know he was doing. You know, spirit came back. It came back for a more opportune time. It was allowed to stand. And that's one of the things that we watch for is patterns, things that happen, things that are put together. And I thought, what are the chances that Jonathan really would die by the hand of his own father? He did. Not a victim. Saul wasn't a victim. He was a controller. And you can't fix this stuff in the natural. That's why I was saying with my friend that she had had some victim things happen. And if it had been allowed to continue, there would have been more. It would have stood. The enemy would eventually do it again and again in the family. And things try to stand. It's perpetual trying to stand. You know, Saul wanted his problem solved, but he didn't want to get right with David or with God. Saul chose not to do anything by his spiritual authority, his spiritual power. So, in closing, there's things you made agreements with. There's basic things that you have to do to answer them. One thing is, you can't come into battle not armored up. I mean, don't fight naked. <laughs> don't tell me I just forgot to put on my armor this morning. No helmet, <laughs> no breastplate, forgot my shoes, ran out the house. You put your natural clothes on most mornings, don't you, right before you run out? How dare you not put on those spiritual clothes? you got to armor up because there's thoughts and depressions. It's this time of year, and you can have years and years and patterns of this, and not one time have you answered it. There's some things that you've got to answer. When Jesus fought a devil, he answered it. Every single time the devil opened his mouth, he answered it. <laughs> the devil just squeaked and Jesus answered it. <laughs> you need to be doing that to those thoughts, to that depression. If you let them talk in your ears, you're letting it stand. If you let it just go around and around and around, and you think, well, nobody knows what's really going on in my head. I mean, some of you are going to sound like you're, people walk into your job and you're just commanding up a storm because you're not letting those words have the final say over you. You're not letting them have the final authority. You remember those things that you've heard of where this says in Numbers 30, verse 3, when a man says no, when authority says no. Jesus, when he did it with the devil and he answered it, you know, Jesus could have pulled rank and said, I'm God's son. I can ignore the devil. But what does a man do? A man says no. A man answers it, not letting certain things stand. Yeah, I remember a very tragic moment. Our guy in a Muslim country, and he had been standing through things that most people could never stand through, terrible battles. You know, he told me one time when he was being beaten, he said the beatings were so bad that he would just picture my face, and he said it would help him get through the beatings. 
So there was one particular time and persecution had worsened. He was telling me goodbye. He was feeling sorry and he told me, I'll be dead by this time next year. So let's say goodbye. It could have been one of those moments where we had a tearful departure. I could have said, you're right. I, I would have never thought you could have stood up to some of the things you went through this year for standing up for Christ. You can have those moments because that is reality. That is his world. We can't, as Americans, say, oh, that kind of stuff doesn't exist when it exists in many parts of the world. People make strong stands for their faith. So when he told me, I'll be dead by this time next year. He told me what he had done, how he stood, how he, he pictured, you know, strength. I looked at him and I said, you lazy thing. What are you trying to do to die before next year and get out of work? I said, who do you think you are? I don't have anyone to replace you. You're not dying this year. I'm not having an open door. <laughs> I put too much training in you. You know what? Next year, I hugged him. And the next year after that, and the next year after that. And there's times when you want to break down and cry with them, but you've got to tell them, you can't haul off and die and try to get out of work like that. <laughs> it's too hard to find a replacement for you. What's kept a lot of marriages together, they're too trained. <laughs> so I want you to picture this if you let it stand or certain words I want you to think of them like concrete that they'll actually set up like concrete in your life and you won't be able to get rid of them if you choose to let certain things stand so in closing I'm giving you the honor to pass on the heritage that my dad gave me of this unimportant little verse that we'd hurry through and tell you it can be one of the most powerful things in your life if you'll look at life as something that God has really made you powerful with, have authority with, and not be powerless. And don't you dare let something stand that God's not saying it needs to stand. Amen.